the stupid theme bikes and the bright colors and oh, the yeah. odd taste and the guys riding in shorts and white sneakers and like everything about the American bike scene drove me nuts and I hated every one of these guys building these crap bikes and I was every chance you gave me on my soapbox spewing venom about all these guys and their shitty shitty bikes because it was just the perfect it was the perfect storm once again and nobody was talking about cocaine you know nobody so here comes this skinny white tattooed dude with a bandana backwards singing about cocaine and people like oh this is never gonna work this is never going to sell. Hey, this is Party Like a Rockstar podcast, and I'm your host, Joel. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese on the market today. They're lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher, perev, and 100% vegan. If you like what you see, check out the next video. If you like this video, please subscribe and like by clicking the little round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or our other guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle is Joel Rody. If you haven't already read my book, Memoir of a Rody, it's now available through Amazon and paperback Kindle or as an audiobook. I hope you enjoy the show. Russell. 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 I'm coming. I'm coming. Hold on. No, <laughs> Swear. Okay. Okay. Now let me. Now I think we got it. Can you hear me? We hear you. I can hear sure. you. We hear you. Oh, for Christ's sake. Uh-oh. Oh, oh, oh. 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 So Hey. Hey. How are you, man? Hey, buddy. How are you? It's good to see you. Oh, oh, don't like you. Jackie, tell Jackie that this is serious. There we go. Yeah. All right, I'll introduce you guys. Everybody. Shot, hey. Oh, they can hear you a lot, I think. Is what it is. Russell Mitchell has been a model and a TV veterinarian on the morning news. I didn't know the veterinarian part, by the way, on the news. I didn't know that part. He gets, Russell gets called in the neighborhood. Remember my goldfish? And my goldfish, is it, is it all right? I don't know. Flick it. What do you mean flick it? You can't flick a fish. If it looks dead, it's dead. Yeah, no, it was going. I saved it. I saved it. No problem. Fortunately for the motorcycle community, he is best known for building bikes. As the owner of Exile Motorcycles, you may have seen him on the TV shows Biker Build Off, Build or Bust, or any number of other shows that he's appeared on. My second guest is Xavier Muriel, who played the drums for Buck Cherry from 2005 to 2017. To age you there, it's a long time, Xavier. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> wow. And he now owns and runs Providence Cycle Works out of Austin, Texas. So my first question is I was talking to Russell and Russell wanted to build a Lambretta scooter with you. And I was going to see if you would be up for it, Xavier. <laughs> Listen, I'll build birdhouses with Russell if he wants me to. I mean, <laughs> anything to anything to work next to that guy. That's awesome. Uh, I, I think I'd probably be better <laughs> at birdhouses these days than, than Lambretta scooter. <laughs> if, it, if it comes with instructions, we may be okay. Other than that, we're screwed. Forget it, you know. Maybe. So. Do you know where any of the scooters are? The ones that you worked on? Uh, you know, a few of them are still kicking around. 
I was contacted a few years ago by a guy who's now become a friend of mine in England, and he asked permission to recreate the original exile. So, Xavier, you probably haven't heard this boring story, but back in the day, I was a scooter boy. And right. the custom scooter scene when I was in my late teens and very early 20s. And at that time, there was a sort of uh, uh, offshoot of the scooter boy scene. We were the scooter scum. We wore leather jackets and motorhead T-shirts and had long hair. And we chopped these Lambrettas. We put motorcycle gas tanks on them and twisted forks. And they're, they're crazy. You should Google them. Wow. Google up Lambretta chopper, what have you, or even Exile Lambretta if you want to see what I did. But anyway. I built one that was all out, you know what I mean? Mural, gold leaf, twisted fork, chrome up the yin-yang engraving, everything. Everything that was all, the, you know, the, the rigor, um, custom, full suite of treatment sure. back in whatever the hell this was, the early 80s, I guess. Um, and... Um, so that one became, that was the first bike I ever called Exile. And right. um, that became very, very well known in the scooter scene. So this guy, fast forward, whatever the hell that is, 30 years, um, this guy contacted me and asked if he could reproduce it. And he did a phenomenal job. I mean, he must have looked at a billion photos and right down to the last, you know, pike nut, he reproduced this bike that I built. It was awesome. And um, so is that, the bike wow. that you, is that the one that you auctioned in the beginning and, and that gave you a couple bucks or is it, was that a, an actual motorbike? I didn't auction it, but it's similar. It was basically um, what happened was I wanted to put it in the big custom show in England, but that was run by the London Hells Angels. So I wrote to them and said, hey, I built this cool Lambretta chopper. Can I bring it to your show? And they're like, look, dude, come to our show. We'd love to have you, but we can't guarantee the safety of a Lambretta. You know, it was all mods and rockers back then, you know. So I borrowed a buddy's uh, Kawasaki Z650, and I rode it 120 miles up the motorway to London at 100 miles an hour. I'd never been on a real motorcycle before, and I got back, and I'm like, screw scooters. So the next time, <laughs> I printed a bunch of raffle tickets, 50 cents a piece, and I basically sold raffle tickets at the rally site for the next scooter rally, and then on the Saturday night, I just pulled a ticket out of the hat and gave the bike away and b- bought a Kawasaki 1000 and built a real chop. So that was the end of scootering for me. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I've cool. never heard that story, and that's amazing. <laughs> well, 50 cents. 50 cents. Well, 50 pence, uh, in all fairness. 50 pence, 50 okay. Pence, so maybe yes. 65 cents. You know, I know what the game <laughs> trip was back then. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm actually, I'm, I, I'm on my iPad, but I'm looking at, I want to see that because I'm absolutely... Well, Google, um, Google Exile Lambretta, and it, it'll come right up. Well, it doesn't mind, because <laughs> I look at it all the time, obviously. Let's see. Yeah, I looked you up. Anyways. There's a guy. He, it says it's like a – I honestly, I thought it was an Exile video. And it's this dude. He takes his bike out, and I'm like, that's not Russell. And he drives it up and down the street for like 15 minutes. And then he pulls back into his shop, and he reads your resume. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know what I mean? As long as they're buying stuff, you go. <laughs> exactly. Who's that guy? Lambretta Chopper. Oh my God, Russell. Those are bitching. Yeah. Well, if you see a white run with gold leaf and what have you, you'll know it's me. <laughs> that. <laughs> 
So you went from that. Wow, that's amazing, man. That is totally cool. See, I look at that and I go, yeah, I need to get one of those because I need to. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Right on. Maybe that's what's going to happen. It's going to be full circle. You'll be building scooters. Dude. That's why I got into the flat black. I think I got all the bling out yes, of it in, yes. one, in one bike. Yeah. You know, in one bike, you did every, every piece of chrome, pike nut, and flake that you could. Exactly. And, and from now on, it's black. Exactly. Okay, exactly. so what music were you listening back then? Because <laughs> now I know I, he's uh, Russ likes Yacht Rod. He likes the old <laughs> stuff. It's pretty <laughs> great. Me. That's okay. Too, I, I'm sure it's okay, you know, but yeah. It's okay. Now, back then it was, um, you know, we did listen to, a, you know, a bit of the old Motorhead ACDC because, you know, it, it supported the whole Scooter Scum image. But a lot of what um, everyone was into then was like the Meteors, all the psychobilly mm. stuff, you know what I mean? Lots of right. dangerous dancing and, um, <laughs> you know, and of course, you know, Northern Soul, Motown, that whole, you know, the Scooter Boys didn't, you know, weren't that huge a leap away from the mod so we still had all that you know good stuff as well right <laughs> that's great so all right so then you want to be an actor which i've never heard before and you did a marble roll commercial and that that commercial gave you a couple bucks basically to uh get going pretty much i mean you know i came over here you know because the weather was nice, you know, and um, I'd been doing a little modeling in London and uh, LA Models said, hey, we can get you a work visa if you want to come over here. My a girl I was seeing at the time had just signed up with them. So I'm like, hell, why not? You know, um, so came over, did a little modeling and like every other, you know, wannabe model in LA, you become a struggling actor slash extra real quick. So I've been doing that, but yeah, I, I landed a gig in a Marlboro commercial, not playing the Marlboro man. It's, you know, but, but it was a nice gig, landed me like a 10 grand paycheck at the exact same time that my best buddy in England had saved up enough to buy a nice Harley. So I said, you know, let's forget the Harleys. I'll build us a couple of identical chops. And, you know, that was kind of the project that I really went to town on, designed a bunch of parts, you know, spent a year immersed in these two bikes. And they were the bikes that kind of launched Exile Cycles. Hmm. So, Wow, that's cool. Yeah. That's well, another Xavier, part so were you later. building bikes for yourself? It would be a bike for yourself for how long now? Me? No, Xavier, because I know Xavier, uh, you did a bike I saw recently, uh, well, recently 2019, and you, uh, you won some awards and you were kicking ass with that bike. I assume it's not your first build, though. You had built stuff since. You know, the funny thing is, is when I, I never, oh, God, how do I put this? I never left the band with the full intention i never left the music industry with the full intention of going to let's open up a motorcycle shop and let's build custom choppers and because and russell's the perfect person to tell you that era of the chopperdom biker build-off days all that stuff will never ever happen again it was such a perfect climate and perfect storm for everything that needed to happen for that era much like the 70s rock and roll. That will never happen again. I literally grew up on bikes. I'm looking at a picture of my father and I when I was five. He came home one, one spring afternoon with three motorcycles on the back of a trailer. His Harley ugly orange 250 single lunger, my brother's Honda 125, and my little MR50. 
And that was it. I had been in love with motorcycles my entire life. Music took over somewhere around the 11, 12 area. And I had always still been into bikes. I had had a motorcycle when the band was doing what we were doing. So who um, in your Keith, family, though, was, was anybody a drummer or anything? Was anybody playing music? My mother was a drummer. So I learned drums from my mother in the beginning. And that's how that really started. I started out on guitar and I sucked. I just immediately, I was just like, this is not for me. Um, and drumming came naturally. I never took any lessons. Everything I ever did was self-taught, much like the motorcycle stuff. I've had some key guys uh, so far be about welding or fabricating or whatever, but I never left the band wanting to do that. When I left the band at 17, I had already been writing for Cycle Source magazine, which Russell is familiar with, um, for eight years. I had an article called On Tour, Killing Time with X. And it was just about me, some guys that I met on the uh, techs on the road, or I'd stop at a mom and pop shop in Marlboro, Wisconsin, and sit with him. And he'd tell me great stories, and I'd write about it. And then I got to meet the likes of all the guys in the industry because we played every single biker rally that's ever been around. We played oh. Sturgis nine years in a row, and I never left the grounds once because it was always about the show and the interviews and then the, the VIPs. But I was super familiar with Russell and Billy and Paul and Larry and So what Kendall are the, story, what are the stories guys. that you heard about Russ? <laughs> Oh, it's well, all fiction. <laughs> it's all fiction. Um, so to answer that question, I literally just, it was a fluke. I was asked to build a bike by Michael Lichter, who Russell knows very well, to do a show, an exhibit for him called Passion Built for Sturgis. And it was about guys who had other gigs, but didn't do bikes as a living. And I remember I was visiting Billy Lane at the time and he was like, dude, you, you can't say no to this. Cause I was doing the sons of speed as well. He said, you don't say no to this. And I had already had an idea that I, I wanted to get out of touring for 10 months out of the year. And I wanted to do something else that I loved, which was motorcycles. And I said, okay, if you tell me that I got to do this, I do this fast forward to, I built a bike. It did. It went in the show. It was really well received. Then it won 2019 Easy Rider Bike of the Year, and all this other stuff started happening. And and the only two things that I love in life more than my family is music and motorcycles. And they've always interconnected in one way or the other. And it just seemed like a natural process. I had no intentions of a logo and a hat and an LLC because I wasn't that guy. I was a guy who just loved to go and tinker with guys at the garage. And, you know, Billy and I've become really great friends and he built me a bike. And then Keith and I and Billy rode it from, we rode from Florida to California after one of the tours. And it seemed like a natural progression, but all the time I was watching Russell on Discovery and watching everything that was going on and my love and my passion grew even more and more, not about the business side, but about just the fabrication and how to build a motorcycle. Because much like creating a motorcycle, and, and when you create a song, it starts off with an idea and a riff. Then it becomes this thing and then it becomes a demo and then because on the record and eight months later, some chick is singing it back to you in the front row and you're like, Wow. It's the same thing with a motorcycle. Russell's perfect. He can tell you that it's just a frame. And then when it starts and it shifts and it breaks and it does all those things that you want it to, man, there's nothing like that. It's amazing. You know, so 
I literally just went, okay, I don't want to tour like I did before. I'm still in the music business, but I want to build motorcycles. Pass or fail, win or lose, I don't care. I just want to build motorcycles. And I had so many people that were like, bro, you really need to think about that because it's not an easy gig. It's not even, even the guys that I hold in the super highest regards were like, you better think about this because it's not an easy gig. And especially nowadays in the two thousands, they were throwing money at people. They were, it was, it was coming. It was just like the rock and roll business, man. Like you could do no wrong. And those days are gone. So you either do it because you really, really love it. Because anything else of like those aspirations of being, Oh, I'm going to be a custom bike builder and be on the cover of magazines and have my own show doesn't happen you know and i don't want it you know people were like but you're never going to get rich or famous i'm like you know what that's great thank you i've already been there once and it almost killed me i'm cool i'm thank you you know so i do it much like russell does and all the other guys that are still in it because russell will tell you how many guys were in the magazines and and started up companies and bought 10 cnc machines and went crazy and did all this and where are they they're not around you know and I don't have any, any desire for that. I don't have any crazy thoughts about it. If I can come into my shop, keep the lights on, pay the bills, build a motorcycle and be happy, I'm good, man. Life, life, that's a good life for me. I already did all that stuff. It was, it was great. And I got all the gray hairs to prove it, you know, but without, without, Russell is one of the, Russell is one of the few guys that can maintain that hairstyle and it still looks dateless and cool. It, I see other guys try to do that nowadays. I'm like, dude, you're 53. Stop it. Okay. Stop it. <laughs> but Russell still does it and it works. You know, I'm just Being like, 63. I see, <laughs> I, yeah, I see some of my right exactly, and I see some because it's him. It's not him trying to be something, you know. And you know that that is, that's man. across Russell, the board. Russell has this new problem. He keeps buying his motorcycles back. <laughs> well, no, it, I, I thought it was a problem, but actually, it's it's not. It's not a bad. It got to be very selective about which ones you buy back. But it's it's very nice to see him again. Some of them. But that's what I was going to yeah. jump into. Is it sort of like, so what is it? You got a bike that you built, let's say 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. And it comes back to you. Are you kind of like, who changed that fucking nut? <laughs> or. A little bit. Well, I, I mean, there's a little bit of that, but the ones that we built, I have sort of, I'm sure Xavier knows, but, and you probably do too now, Joel, but there's sort of two branches to the bikes that we do. We offer, kit bikes which is basically we'll prepare an entire bike for you all the fabrication welding grinding everything but instead of sending it to the paint shop we box everything up on a pallet and we send it to you you paint it you bolt it together you wire it you ride it okay so before you keep going i was going to ask so i want to build a bike i cannot afford building one of your guys's type bikes right (laughs) can i get anything from you guys that I can at least begin the cycle of because that's what I can afford. What would be like the, the what would be the Lambretta scooter for some guy to just start trying to build their own bike? Where can I begin with this? Like, do I start with a tank or what would you suggest? And then let's say I want to order stuff from you. Like you had just said, is there somebody who can walk me through it a little bit to be like, well, why don't you start with this? Well, that'd be me. 
Um, but <laughs> bottom line, exactly. it, it, you know, not, you know, your, uh, I, I can't really think of an analogy, but you know what I mean? You're like saying, I've just about saved up enough for C-class. I want to call the guy over at AMG and figure out how to trick it out. You want to go to Pet Boys, man, and buy a seat cover is what you want to do. You don't want to be talking to me if what you're trying to do is build a $4,000 bike. Because I can't keep in business, you know, $4,000 is what my gas cap costs or something. You know, it's not true. I'm very affordable, really. But it costs a lot of money to make stuff the way my stuff is made and the small runs and what have you. If you want to get into customizing bikes... You want to get on Craigslist. You want to buy yourself a, you know, late seventies, early eighties, straight four Jap bike for, you know, I was going to say a price there, but they've gone through the roof. Through the roof, yeah. A bunch of them when I first came here, you know, four hundred dollars, three hundred and fifty bucks, and you could um, beautify them for next to nothing, you know. so that's the way to start. I always tell you, you know, starting from scratch is impossible. You cannot learn to be anything about motorcycles by buying a frame. You will blow your brains out. And I tried it a few times back in the 20s. After I sold, got rid of the Lambretta chopper, um, I bought a Kawasaki. I built a chop out of that. I bought a Sportster. I built a chop out of that. And then I bought a frame and thought I was going to build a brand new Evo chopper. And after a couple of months of like staring at it going, I don't know anything about electrics. It's, you know, I went back to the drawing board and you got to learn by taking existing bikes and tweaking them and then getting more adventurous. Once you've learned what makes a motorcycle tick. Yeah. It's, it's those, you know, Russell will tell you much more than I, I could ever, but those situations where those guys that come up to you and they want that, they have a certain idea because they've seen it, whether it's been on the website or on somebody's at a magazine or they saw it at a, at a Hooters and they took a picture of it and they want that. It's a certain look. Well, that look costs money, you know? So when guys come to me and stuff like that, I'm like, well, you're better off, like Russell said, buying something that's already done and doing little bits here and there. Because if you try to start from scratch and you don't know anything about what you're doing, you better have a really big bank account because every time you turn around and you flip on the computer or you open up another magazine, your idea of what you think is going to change. And that always means money, 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 money. So, I, I, you know, I never discourage anybody from wanting to try their hands at it because I think you should because I think there's a lot of people that forget about it, that it takes this, these two right here to make something happen. Whether you're programming programming it on a CNC machine or CAD or that that's the same thing it still takes these but you know I I was a perfect example of that false illusion of like well I'm going to jump in because I had you know my money from my what I was doing for a living and then it got completely out of hand and then I had somebody come in and go no man you're doing it all wrong I I applaud your effort you have the desire for it but understand that that not only the desire you have to have direction and you have to have you know an idea and it it's best to help got have guys like russell and myself go yeah no i'm gonna try and keep you from making a twenty thousand dollar mistake immediately and and go from there but you know i i uh, there's been a couple of my friends and musicians that can't afford one of my bikes but they're like dude i really like this look all right Let's put a roller together. 
you take that roller and you stick it in your living room and you stare at it for a while. When those finances come in, then you get a motor. And is now this, again, uh, is this, this was Robert Plant. <laughs> <laughs> again, that will literally listen, Robert, time. you got to leave me alone. Listen, no listen, Robert, you got, I have no time. Oh, Russell. So, <laughs> yeah. And then some of the guys, some of the guys have actually stuck with it. And two years later, I've wired their bike and it's, they're happy as clams. And 80% of the other guys, done. Don't want to do it anymore. Tired of it. Can't Are you like going it. around okay. your house, like fabricating other shit? I can totally picture you doing that, Xavier. I can, dude, Russell got really even, into dude, the swimming pool. <laughs> you don't even know. My AC, I've been having difficulties with my AC. And the guy who actually installed it is four units down. And I'm up there today and I'm looking at going, you know what? I could totally fab up a holder for this. I wouldn't need to wait for anybody and blah, 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 blah. Cause I've got all my materials down there. And I thought, and I go, wait, if I'm doing his job, he, I'm not making any money for Providence. I'm fixing his stuff. And I went, no, called him up. Said, hey man, you need to come take care of this because I got stuff to do. So, but yeah, I do that all the time. Even in the, if something's wrong in the garage or, and when your buddies find out that you know how to weld, Oh yeah. It's like being the it's like being the musician in the band that has the van or the truck. Everybody's like, "Hey dude, can you come pick up my Marshall half stack?" You know, it's like, "Hey man, I got this barbecue pit." I'm just like, "Oh god." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, That's something interesting. So I remember years ago, my father was a machinist. My dad had a machine shop. And so Russ and I've talked about it briefly or whatever. And my dad hated welding. He sucked at it. And Russ actually said that he hates welding a bit too cuz it's it's hard. Yeah. And you know what's really weird? For me, it came naturally because welding, and Russell will tell you, is all about timing. It's yeah. all about rhythm. And being a drummer, the first guy that ever sat me down, we were on tour with Godsmack, and I had two days off. And Will Ramsey from, from Faith Forgotten Choppers as was a good buddy of mine, and Jeff Cochran, and they lived in that area. And Will said, hey, man, let me come pick you up and take you to the shop and hang out for two days because I know you'd rather be there than a hotel. And I'm like, yes, please. And got to the shop and he said, so is there anything that you kind of want to do? Do you want to change some oil or something? I go, man, would you mind if I jump on your TIG machine? I want to try welding. He's like, oh yeah. Cause he's a master welder. He's the guy that gets in. He, like he makes stuff out of titanium. That's a whole other world. And I said, okay, yeah, that'd be awesome. So he sits me down and it very quickly just goes, this is what this does. This is what this does. That pedal goes right here and do this. Okay. And he walked away and I just was doing my thing. We were listening to Zeppelin and I, he come, I flip my hood up and I go, Hey man, how's this? And he comes over and he goes, dude, are you sure you've never done this before? I go, never in my life. He goes, it usually takes me a week or two to get a student to do that. Nice. And then he goes, wait, you're a drummer. And I go, yeah. He goes, everything is about, and I got to the point, I got so obsessed with it. <laughs> like I do with anything. So that drum, drumming is a stepping stone of becoming a good step, welder. Totally, totally. If you want to be a great welder, and I'm not a great welder at all. If you want to be a welder, be a drummer first. And it just kind of worked out, you know. Um, but that was one of the things that Billy was really, really, really like beat into my head was like, stop paying people to do the things that you want to learn how to do. Um, and welding was one of them. Now, I hate aluminum welding. I can't stand it. And other people love aluminum welding and they hate steel. But like Russell, you know, when you have something in your head and you're trying to get it out with this and you, and then you put it all together and it actually does what it's supposed to. You're like, Oh, 
wow, okay, so that did work, you know? Um, but <laughs> no, I, I, lo- I, I, love, I love welding. Welding is one of the things that I get to forget everything else that's going on in the world. Anything that's going on in my life and in the world and the problems, because all I have to concentrate is having some nice music playing in the background, nothing metal, because I love I love to listen to spa music while I weld because it's God rock comes back again. Dude, you know, when Jimmy Buffett's I'm rocking, you know. (laughs) And all I have to worry about is that little puddle, just making that little puddle, making that that's it. So to me, it's a way for me to escape all the shit that's going on, you know, especially right here. Um, but there's, what's that? Oprah for me. Oh, uh, you know, the other day I was welding up my buddy's tank and I was listening to Phantom because Phantom is my utmost favorite ever. And awesome. I had a, another buddy comes walking through the door. He's like, really, dude, really? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I, I, what did you expect? He goes, well, I thought you'd be listening to Slayer, or, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, no, I mean, stop that's with the. I, that's when know, I'm in like, the bathroom at home. No, now during final assembly, I'll throw on something that's completely different because I'm like, okay, all that shit's done. Now we just got to put it together. But, you know, but I, yeah, I, I, I love welding and, um, you know, there, there isn't too many things about this thus far. I'm sure I'll be calling Rich uh, Russell pretty soon in the next year or two. Go, okay, man, I need some advice because I'm about to do something stupid, you know. Um, Russell's but, uh, not so, the guy to call. So, you better make it quick because I'm forgetting <laughs> everything I ever know. <laughs> Rapidly. <laughs> well, I'll, ma- I'll make sure I call you before that gets worse. How about that? Yeah, I do. do. So, okay, so uh, Buck Cherry. So, Keith and Josh met each other at the tattoo parlor. And I just totally figured because they're, they're, they're all tatted up. I know Josh is like crazy tatted. I'm assuming Keith's pretty tatted. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I just picture these two guys like continuing to go back to the tattoo shop till they meet somebody cool. <laughs> And finally, they're like totally tatted everywhere. And they're like, yeah, we got to got to do a band. <laughs> we got to do But You know, those guys met uh, under the craziest of circumstances through Kevin Quinn, who is the, the tattooist who's done us all. Um, and they were just two guys who were their paths were exactly the same at that point in time. They were tired of flaky people. They were getting tattooed. They had straightened their lives out. They were really focused about making music because back then you know there was not a lot of great rock and roll and i mean just rock and roll in the traditional sense there was there was new metal and then there was hardcore metal and there was rap metal and there was all this other stuff and emo with everything with the hair to the side and you know the kids hate hate their parents but there wasn't rock and roll and those guys just wanted to put together a rock band a no frills just straight up old school uh you know rock band and for the longest time they had difficulty finding members and then they 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 finalized the lineup they were they were called sparrow before they were called buck cherry and as a matter of fact a band from cambridge called sparrow sent them a cease and desist cambridge so they had to yeah cambridge england they had to send uh it was either cambridge or it was birmingham and they had to change the name and they literally that's how it started so they changed the name and Buck Cherry came about by, and there was tons of like crazy urban stories about how Buck Cherry was like, you know, a transvestite that would watch the rehearsal room for packs of cigarettes. It was crazy. Like, and even I was a fan way before I ever got in the band. Cause remember Keith and I had known each other way before he got together with Josh. So I was a huge fan of the band on the first two records. And 
the way that the name came about was Keith was reading a paperback book about, I think it was either Chuck Berry or black musicians in, in the industry. And Chuck Berry said, you know, the black man has no spot in the white man's world or as far as rock and roll or something like that. He goes, the, the, the record industry, the music industry will do anything to, to, to make money from you and change anything they can. The way you look, the way you sound, they'll change your name from Chuck Berry to Buck Cherry. That's where it came from. And Keith was like, that's amazing because Keith is a huge, huge blues freak, you know, and that's how the name came about. And for years, I'd always, heard, I'd always heard all these other cooler stories about that. And he told me that. I went, really? That's it? I'm like, wow, okay. So, <laughs> you know, but that's – and those guys, you know, up until Keith left, literally, I think he left about three months after I did. Those guys were together for 22-plus years, 20, you know, and a hell of a run, man. A hell of a run. When somebody tells you that your band has made more records than Zeppelin and the Beatles – it's kind of weird sounding, you know, it yeah. really does. But, you know, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done and there's no more smoke and lights and all that other shit, you know, that band will have put a little mark on the history of rock and roll, which is an just like Russell. There will never be a bike builder up and coming that doesn't go back to those biker build off episodes and watch that and go, I don't want that thing over there i want that style of bike and you know so forever you know him as well he's he's put we call it your name is in the book man you know his name is in the book our name is in the book and that's cool that's a that's an amazing thing you know because i'm sure he'll tell you it wasn't supposed to happen he just had an idea he didn't have a grandioso plan and neither did we we were like Shit, I was I was running oil back and forth at Glendo Harley Davidson and eating my dinner on the way to rehearsal and playing, going, well, maybe we'll get a record deal. I don't know. Who knows? Lo and behold, and then you wake up twenty some odd years later and you go, What happened? You know? That's <laughs> crazy. Did you, ever, did you guys ever used to play yeah. Lovely Bones on the set? Did we play what? The song Lovely Bones. It's on one of Josh's records. I think we tried a couple of Josh's solo stuff um, and he decided that it didn't jive with what the catalog or the set list that, mm. that the band was playing because Josh was really adamant about not playing the same set list over and over. I mean, we yeah. had no, at one point in time, we had to know seven albums worth of material because much like Mick Jagger he, or Bruce Springsteen, he'd go, you know what? Uh, I don't want to play that. We're going to play uh, Lawless and we live. Go. He'd be like, so, you know, he never, ever wanted, and I think we tried it a couple of times. It just didn't jive, you know, Such um, a because the Josh, song. yeah, the Josh Todd stuff was a certain kind of style and, 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 and feel, whereas the, the, the Buck Cherry stuff was, was its own thing. So we tried it and it just didn't, didn't work out. So I saw you play in one of the best shows I've ever seen. And I've had the opportunity to see a lot of bands. Are you sure that was me? I'm it was, me. I'm pretty sure it was. I'm going to get into it, but I think it was. So uh josh is gonna be in my movie we talked you you know the film we talked about it so yeah. uh so josh is gonna be in my film so he he calls me up he says you know we got to talk i'm like yeah of course happy to you know and i'm a little stressed at the time because we're just about getting into production and i'm, I'm tired man i'm, I'm you know, when you make a movie for no money you do everything and i'm pooped so he wants to talk so i'm like well you want to go get a drink oh no you don't drink and i'm thinking oh yeah so he's like, well, just come over to my house 
So I go to his house and it has this nice little white picket fence or whatever. And so I, I go in and, and Mitzi's like, would you like a cup of tea? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm English. I mean, okay. Yeah, so yeah. it comes in the little English cup, right, with the saucer. And he just looks at me and he goes, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I didn't say a word. He goes, shut the fuck up. And he goes, so here, I like this, I like this movie and everything, but you got me here as a drunk guy at bar. Oh, yeah. He goes, I want to be Hutch. You want what? I want to be called Hutch. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. That's it. Okay. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so, so that was the big meeting. So anyway, he goes, you got to come see us play, man. We're playing tonight on Sunset. And I'm like, oh, I'd be honored. Yeah, man, sure. So I cruise with his his wife and his in-laws. And we're in the okay. audience. And so I'm pretty sure you're in the band because I'm talking about 2006. And Ooh, was that on on at the Whiskey? It was at the whiskey. So we're at the show and I'm standing next to his wife and his parents. And he goes, man, he goes, I used to live on Hollywood. You know, I'm going to get it wrong a little bit. He's like, but I'm on sunset and fuck, man. You know, I, I fucked the girl on the kitchen and I fucked the girl on the roof and this part. And he's going through like all of his like young shenanigans. He goes, but you know what I miss? I miss so fucking much. I miss more than anything else in the world. I miss the fucking cocaine and the sun. And I'm like, that was the greatest shit ever. It was, it was so, so good, man. Yeah. I mean that, it, again, that, that era, that time, which was the literally the last part of what the Sunset Strip meant to musicians from that point all the way back to the 60s, to the Doors, to Van Halen, Motley, Poison, Warren, and everybody that played on that strip. And it's not the same anymore. Those, those, those times will never be recreated again. One, because Gazzari's is gone. The Key Club is gone. All those major, major influential music things are are holding on by a thread man um and the band was so hungry because everybody was working day jobs and everybody just wanted to make a record we just wanted to get out and play and we were doing a residency at the whiskey long beach malibu and san diego so we'd play tuesday wednesday thursday friday for four weeks and that happened to be one of the shows that you caught. And we were so hungry, man. We were, we were a gang. We literally were a gang. I mean, we had the mentality of like failure is not an option. So when we went on stage, it was war. I mean, we were there to cut your fucking heads off and like it or hate it, like it or, or, or hate it, you're going to pay attention. And that was the mentality that, that I think we needed at that time to get us to that thing. It's like the same thing with, you know, Russell. There was, there was the, there was the, 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 the small spot Russell in cocaine with all the girls next to yeah, Josh. Right. Yeah. Know. Russell was doing cocaine. Yeah. And <laughs> it, but it was that. But the funny thing is, is that even to this day, there's such a huge misconception about that song and a bunch of other ones, because at that time, those cats were not doing it. It was, they were done with all that. It, Josh would always create songs and lyrics about experiences because that's the only thing he only he said that he only has because everything else is an opinion and nobody gives a fuck what Josh is taught. Josh Todd's opinion is he wants to talk about his experiences and I really thought that that was well that's that makes a lot of sense you know and that song specifically was the one that was created because Keith wanted to write 
songs in open G, which nobody was doing at the time, but he's a huge Keith Richards Stones fan. And that's all that Keith Richards plays is open G. So Keith was like, I just want to write great rock songs. And that's how that song came about. Literally, they they created that song in probably 10, 15 minutes. I kid you not. Because it was just the perfect, it was the perfect storm once again. And nobody was talking about cocaine, you know, nobody. So here comes this skinny white tattooed dude with a bandana backwards singing about cocaine. And people are like, oh, this is never going to work. This is never going to sell. Yeah, right. And look what happened. The same thing with crazy, crazy bitch. You know, I told you it wasn't supposed to be on the record. It was a complete afterthought. I listen to that drum track and I'm like, because I can just do gas, doom to doom, gas, you know? And we were just like, because who was going to put a song that had bitch and fuck on the radio? Nobody. And this oh. is before Sirius XM, remember? And literally that song went on the record. A DJ from the East Coast, from Chicago, who was a huge Buck Cherry fan on the first two records, took that song, ripped it off of the record put it on their MySpace <laughs> MySpace account and replaced all their profanity profanity with Homer Simpson and Chewbacca. That's how that song took off. I, I mean that. that's as that's as organic as you're ever gonna get. And literally it just started to feed its way back to the West Coast and, and stations were picking it up and, and everybody was going on our MySpace page and oh my God, that song and da 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 when the song actually came out on iTunes, it crashed all of the servers because it was such a massive amount of downloads and the ringtone was available because we were like one of the first ringtones that ever really happened. So it crashed everything for 22 hours and people were just like, Wow. So once again, you don't know, you never know what's going to happen, man. You just go in there, you do the best you can and, Throw it on the flagpole and hopefully, and Russell said this before, I've heard him say it, put it up there and let's see who salutes it. Totally. Because nobody knows. The musicians don't know. The managers don't know. The booking agents, nobody knows. And just like our two businesses now, I don't know what's going to happen. And I really don't want to because I don't want a crystal ball anymore, man. I just want to, I just want to build some really cool shit and, and enjoy my life. And that's it, you know, but trust me. If Guns N' Roses called and Frank couldn't play anymore, I would go right out. <laughs> oh, I love you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Frank, are you listening? No, I'm kidding. I mean, I've had uh, I've had other offers to go out again. And again, man, I don't want to be out on the road for ten months. I just don't. I I found something that I really love to do on a daily basis. And again, you know, my old man was really really adamant. He goes, "If you're not enjoying what you're doing, then get out. It's it's not worth it." And if this stops being, I'll go work at Home Depot. I'm totally cool with that. You know. So is there any relationship between? Because you and Keith are like family. So it was Keith there and I are really really close. Both left around the same time. Was there anything that was because of that, or did like one guy say that, he was leaving, and then you, and then the other guy was like, "Well, you know what? I've been well do my own thing." When the band got together, after Keith and Josh had really discussed after the second record, and they broke up. They went their separate ways. Josh did his solo record. Keith is, is, is to this day still very much a writer and a producer. That's all he ever wanted to do. 
he never knew that 17 years later would be on the road together. Yeah. Um, I think that when it began to be my time and him and I were so close because again, Keith and uh, Keith and Josh had decided before they put the band back together, they didn't want the best players. They could care about that. They wanted guys that they could be on the road with for a very, very, very long time. And I think that Josh and Stevie have always been their own little nucleus. And then Keith and I, because of the motorcycles and because of our background, we're our own little nucleus. And again, Josh and Stevie have been running around Hollywood since they were 16. So they have a very, very long history. And so do Keith and I. Yeah. I so when I decided at the cat club, at yeah, least all once the time. a week. Yeah. Yeah. When I decided that it was time for a change and I had discussed that with him, I don't think that I influenced him, nor did he influence me. I think that we just kind of saw the writing on the wall as to where the band's direction of music, um, business, and the future of it. Um, and I think that was kind of like two, two guys thinking the same thing, but never really discussing it, you know. Um, and again, that that time for me was really, it was hard, man, because like, being in a band with with uh, those guys for as long as we were i mean i spent more time with those guys in my own family you know so when you have that kind of disruption in that relationship um it's weird it's really really weird and the night that i actually made that decision for myself i didn't tell keith or anybody i mean i got home it was for the holidays and i was sitting with a really dear friend of mine who um, knew what was going on. And he, and he was like, yeah, I, I think it's time I can hear it in your voice. And um, the biggest fear was, you know, uh, what's next, you know, because the, 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 the normalcy thing would be like, well, I'm going to go join the black crows or I'm going to go find another gig. And it was not like that at all. I didn't want to touch drums. I didn't touch drums for almost two years when I left, you know? And, um, but I think it was, it was time for Keith to do his thing. And it was time for me to do my thing. And it was time for Josh and Stevie to really. And the funny thing is, is their new drummer is a dear friend of mine who lives 45 minutes from me. Oh, it's really bizarre. And he's the sweetest guy, you know, so. What kind of bike does he have? Again, <laughs> he, he, he does it. He's like, well, I, I, I don't really do motorcycles. And I go, but you're a painter. So I have a big wall, white wall that you can come paint. He's like, yeah, dude, I'd love to. So. Um, I think, you know, like I've said in every, anything else that I've ever discussed with the band, um, I don't the hate it. I don't muralist? No, he's a muralist. That's what he does. But he does it in almost graffiti fashion, cool, if you will. And he's amazing. He's really, you know, he's a, he, and he's a sweet guy. And again, they're all just doing what we're trying to do. We're trying to keep the lights on, keep food on the table and be happy. Okay. And, so here's a fun uh, one. What are some of the craziest gigs you've played at, like venues? Like, what are the off the wall? And Russ, anybody you've sold a bike to where you're like, what the fuck? Like, where did that come from? Or what? You know, I remember my father sold a, uh, a couple XJ6 motors because the guy was putting them in motorcycles, actually, in uh, Arizona wow. or something. And I remember my dad thinking, there's yeah. no warranty on anything because you're, <laughs> you're a moron. Yeah. Wow. Um I can't really, I'm trying to think of, I mean, we, we've never had, thank God, we never had that, that episode of, of, 
or that night where we pulled up and we were playing at the Holiday Inn next to, you know, whatever, like in Spinal Tap, you know, we never had what they, but again, that was because Keith and Josh were very, very specific about the do's and the don'ts. And they had a very clear direction of what the band was going to do. And we were either going to succeed or we were going to fail. And we were good. That was it. Did you guys Um, rehearse like nuts? All the time. We, we, I, like I said earlier, I was running parts back and forth as a parts runner at Glendale Harley Davidson. And I worked Monday, I worked Monday through Saturday and we would rehearse every night at seven o'clock to 10 o'clock because the, the Josh and Keith had kids at that time and they had to go home and be dads. But we had the weekends off because they wanted to be with their families. But it was another job. I worked a nine to five at the HD shop. And then every night we were in rehearsal writing material and writing material and writing material because that's what it took um, to get to that level. And again, when we were ready to, nobody wanted to sign us. We were husbands. We were too old. We were too tattooed. Imagine that. We were too tattooed at that time. And nobody cared about rock and roll. So we literally went to Japan where they had still a huge following, which is funny because that's saying, well, we're huge in Japan. Well, it was true. Um, went and got a deal from Universal Japan and brought that money back and recorded 15. And if you look at that record, the artwork that's on that was shot in Japan with a little Nikon handheld, the pictures. Because I, I remember I was at the back wall in the dressing room going, and then I gave it to Jimmy and then Stevie and then Josh and then Keith. And that, that artwork is Josh's hands. It was such a shoestring budget. It was not even funny, man. But we were so grateful to just be making a record. And then it just did what it did. You know, I was still working at the Harley shop and had to take four days off to go play a, a festival in Japan with Slipknot, Oasis, Deep Purple, Nine Inch Nails. And I'm sitting there on, on this huge arena going what the fuck is going on i remember our manager would you know they were talking about butchery and in japanese and all he goes here is bakucheri and my manager goes like this you gotta go play and then i came back landed at lax on sunday night and went right back to work monday morning jet lag and one of the guys comes over he goes hey man so what's up rock star and i go i don't know who you're talking about bro because i'm punching in just like you you know and but I don't think we ever had one of those you, those gigs. I mean, we did you guys do sound check for hours and hours every day? No, no. It was on business, get off. We were we were not about about that. We weren't those guys, man. We literally would just get up, we'd run song, John would Josh would come up, we'd check everything. We're cool, yeah, we're done. Because everybody wanted to get on the phone with their kids and then check in with the wives and you know, so um but yeah, we never had, I mean, we've had other crazy situations like playing four different climates in four different days, um, which is wreaks hell on the sinuses. But um, <laughs> we never had one of those, man. And, 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 and I think about stuff like that sometimes, like some of the craziest gigs. We were at a pub in Edmonton in Canada when the Oilers were in the playoffs and they happened to lose that night. Oh. And Corona bottles were flying through the air. One hit one of my my ride, my ride, and it exploded on stage. And I was just covered in glass and beer. And I was like, "Who the fuck wastes a really good Corona?" I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> and 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 fights and just and and people 
in balconies fucking you know i mean i'm looking over and people just like you know i've seen all of that stuff but like i can't really say that we had any of those shows where you show up and it's a girl scout reunion or some shit build any bikes for something that was very unusual or like a call that just is just pick- um i mean it, it runs the spectrum really i mean customer wise you know i've done you know, perhaps not as much name stuff as the guys who paint brightly colored and highly chrome bikes but, you know i did we did one for george clooney we did one for chris cornell you know a bunch of the higher echelon folks mm-hmm. but plenty of the stuff is totally blue collar guys you know blue collar guys who you know have been saving for years and years to scrape up enough for the bike or the kit i got one guy now and i mean i'm dealing with on an almost daily basis and i swear he must have bought the frame like like xavier was saying you know putting a roller together this guy must have bought the frame 10 years ago and he just comes back and he's like you know do you have the axle in stock and how much is it and you know what's it going to be with shipping and i tell him and then three weeks later he's like i'm ready to order that axle now you know what i mean bless him you know what i mean and what's really sucky is you know my bikes have always been built um pretty much to a formula because I, I, I discovered early on in the world of custom bike building that that whole, I built a bike. I spent six months of my life and every penny I've got building it. And now it's broken down on the first trip to the pub sucks. I decided a long time ago, I wanted to try and hit that perfect sweet spot between perfect custom and I wouldn't say total, but high yeah. reliability and the only way to do that is repeatability. You have to try and test the products. You know, I mean, you do something one-off, you can think it through to your blue in the face, but the bracket's going to snap or the holes aren't going to line up or the thing that couldn't possibly rub on the other thing is going to rub like hell on the other thing. So our bikes are pretty built to a formula. Where I'm going with this is poor guys taking so long that some of those parts of that formula aren't available anymore. You know, available. Trying to buy a set of, you know, 1995 Harley dresser fork legs, which is what I like to build around those big tapered 41 millimeter mm-hmm. fork. You know, Harley's discontinued them, you know, to hell with yeah. the guy, you know, the quarter of a million guys or however many guys it is that are riding around on those dressers. God forbid they should get into a front end accident because there's no parts for him. But, you know, this poor guy, we're still trying to find his way to continue this project that he's got his, you know, that he's deep into with, uh, with, you know, stuff that's harder and harder to get a hold of, you know? So, yeah. um, But yeah, so all the way from top to bottom. And as far as like events, you know, did Sturgis a bunch of times with Xavier, you know, it's great, great, great times, but you know, we've done tiny little things. You know, we went to Miami, Oklahoma, tiny little thing at a, at a casino there. And, you know, there was like five people there and three of them came with me on the plane. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> but we had a great time. We had a great time. And we did a cool one in Alberta again. And we went to Alberta a bunch of times up Edmonton and what have you, where we actually showed up with a bike kit and put it together on stage you know, no Loctite, no torque wrenching it, you know, we we zoomed through it, but, you know, started Saturday morning, and by Sunday afternoon, we'd hot-wired it and had it fired up on the stage, and, um, you know, everything, everything. It was it was really good times, and exactly as Xavier said, 
It was the perfect storm. It's never going to happen again. It should never have happened in the first time. You know, glorified mechanics who are building, you know, death traps on wheels should not be, you know, revered like rock stars or be paid. You know, I used to walk into events and get 10 grand in an envelope just for showing up and then stand there and sell 10 grand in T-shirts. Holy crap, I wish I'd saved some of that money. You know, <laughs> that should never have happened, you know? And it exactly. It happen again. Yeah. You know, yeah. crazy, crazy stuff. But I, I just, you know, very grateful to have been there at the right time and have the stories to tell and, uh, you know, you know, get my name in the book, as he said. Why did you <laughs> call the company Exile? Say again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Why did you call the company Exile? So it goes right back to that Lambretta chopper. So I needed to, like, rule the world of Lambretta custom bike building. So <laughs> I threw everything into this chopper, white pearl paint, gold leaf, everything back then so this would have been very early 80s so every self-respecting custom had a mural and mine had this sort of mongol savage riding a saber-toothed tiger with a you know unconscious semi-naked chick with a fur bikini on over his shoulder and i'm like man i need a chris akios you remember chris akios he used to do beautiful beautiful um art so it was one of his images that I had somebody um, do as a mural on the coffin tank. Um, but I needed a name. I needed to come up with a name. And then somehow I came up with this exile. It's symmetrical. It's short. It's got an X in it. Perfect. I called this chopper, this Lambretta chopper, I called it exile. And it got me such, I mean, I won every trophy in every event for like the whatever it was for the season before I, I raffled it off. Um, which is why I was sort of branching out into the real bike shows. Cause I'm like, man, I want to get some trophies from the Kent custom bike show, you know, one of them hell's angels trophies. So um, anyway, got so much um, attention that the next bike was exile two and exile three, you know what I mean? For myself, yep. for myself, you know, I always built something every year or two and, you know, whether it was a, $20,000 Harley or a $500 Suzuki, depending on you know, how well I was doing and whatever else my real job was at the time. So right. when it came time to start a business over here, I sort of dusted off the exile name. By then, I was sort of a self-imposed exile in America anyway, so it seemed kind of fitting and ironic. So is, it, is it true? I read, so you spent like every penny you had on a motorcycle when you got to America? So I landed here with $9,000 in my pocket, bought a recycler, and the next day I spent $86.50 on, on a soft tail. <laughs> but I sold it for like ten seven about three weeks later because I, I went all the way out to Apple Valley to get this almost brand new soft tail and then sold it to some dude in Hollywood. It was one of those blue ones that had a blue frame, and I'm like, I cannot mm. win with this. I got yeah, you. you know, I just can't win with a blue powder coated frame. Yeah. You know? So... Sold that, uh, sold that, and you know, and you know, sort of flipped and twiddled around until, like I say, you know, that point came where I built these two bikes, and that was really the launching. I finished those, or I finished the bike for my buddy first, and on the very first outing, I rode it to Rick's Tacos on Van Nuys Boulevard for bike night, mm -hmm. and Keith Ball was there, Bandit. And he came up to me, he's like, hey, man, I'd love to put that in Easy Rider. And I'm like, well, let me think about that. Okay. You know, <laughs> and, um, and um, uh, uh, Jim Jinnat assisted the, the photo. So we had it shot. 
And the following weekend, I was having a party at my house. And a, a good buddy of mine, Chris, he was at my party a few weeks ago, Joel, the hefty East Coast dude. Okay. Muscly East Coast dude, if you're watching at home, Chris. Um, and he was he, he came to my nice party. Nice fella. Nice fella. My birthday party uh, at the time. And he had a guy with him I'd never met before. And this guy just kind of literally grabbed me by the lapels, put me up against the wall. And he's like, you have to do this. You have a gift. You have to do this. And on that Saturday, I, I was going down to the Del Mar, uh, Del Mar Classic down by San Diego. And I was riding down. I'm like, you know what? I'm a struggling actor. I got loads of free time. You know what? I'm a struggling actor. I need nothing more than a second income. Right. Give it a go. So when Easy Riders called up to do the interview, I made up this entire story about a bike shop that didn't exist. Oh, yeah, my company, Exile Cycles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what we do. We build this shit. I had a buddy... My best friend, who unfortunately passed away recently in the UK, was exporting 501. So I had his one-ton pickup and his pager that he left in America. He'd go troll around Texas and then file the 501s back. So I gave the pager number out as the exile shop number. In the first five years, you know, the T-shirt still had his pager number on the back. Yep. Made up this whole story about exile cycles. The article came out in Easy Riders, and some plastic surgeon from Johannesburg called up ordered a bike and that was it rinse and repeat that bike got into hot bike that da, 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 and exile cycles discovery showed the first round of the build-offs you know with larry and whatever and i looked at it and i read the credits and i'm like hugh king so i called up like hugh king i build the best bikes in america how come i'm not in your show give me a call and that was it you know <laughs> oh he called we got on i was conveniently located hollywood adjacent and I ended up, you know, I, I think I did more of the actual biker build-offs. I, you know, I did three biker build-offs. I did the world bike build-off. I did Motorcycle Mania 4 when Jesse was too busy to, to you know, keep that going. So God bless. And, you know, all I can say, and everybody else in the chopper industry who's still living and breathing should say, thank you, Tom Beers. I mean, <laughs> holy schmoly. I mean, not only did that guy almost virtually invent the reality TV industry, so yep. the only yep. one will be thanking him, but he built this whole chopper yep. house of cards. It should never existed. So, yeah. so I was at an auction oh. with Tom and I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was. And I'm with this girl. I had just started dating. Uh, this is before Aaron. You didn't, you never met her. And um, I'm sitting in the back and this guy has a lot of money. This Tom guy, he's bidding on stuff. You know, he's bidding on nice stuff. So he goes to bid on it and he loses it. And I'm like, Hey, you want me to break that guy's fucking legs? And he kind of looks at me kind of like, <laughs> and the girl I'm with is like, dude, we're at an auction, you asshole. And I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, when you go a lot, they get boring. So I bid on something and I don't win. And, he, and Tom turns around and goes, I'll fuck that guy up for you. If you want. Somebody's legs on his own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good. And then they a little, came up a little with, thinly guy. I'm like, I think it was a David Hockney came up or something. And I'm like, this is cheap. Wow. You should buy this. And he goes, really? Because the art lady, she didn't tell me. I'm like, this is a good deal for real. He goes, does it belong yeah. to you? I'm like, no, but the, I'm like, the next piece does. So he bid on the next piece and he goes, well, I'm going to keep going. I'm like, I don't know. Is this collusion? Am I allowed to tell you? Yes. He's like, and so he bid on my piece for me a few times and uh, he raised the price of it. So I, I gained a buddy. I got to tell you, Xavier, I, I don't know if you ever made it actually, but for a few years, I was holding a, a bike event at the Paramount Ranch here in the little Western town in Paramount yeah. Ranch and, you know, yeah. making some money for leukemia and what have you and, and what, and it was a good time. 
And um, Joel would come out and we'd get donations. You know, Biltwell would sell, send helmets and a bunch of guys were very generous and we'd auction them off. And at that auction, I'm so stupid. You know, at that auction, and Joel's like bidding on the set of PM controls. Or, and I'm like, well, thanks, Joel. That'll be, you know, 150 bucks to Joel. But I'm pretty sure Joel, and like, it, he had to kind of explain the whole auction. To, he's basically bidding up all these people to raise money for the hundred. <laughs> right. I'm like yelling right. at him, like, oh, I don't want the set of PM controls. He hasn't even got a fucking bike, you know? And eventually I'm like, Oh, I should probably oh. hit up and let him get over it, you know? <laughs> he it at the very end, but, he, but he's like, well, what would you have done if you get the stuff? I'll fucking sell it. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was fantastic. Okay. Some people were scoring left, right, and center, so I don't right. feel bad for anybody, but but the stuff I, yeah, I could tell him. Like, job of getting the, the numbers up. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Okay, so uh, when I was going to put together this podcast, I was at my friend's house, and his daughter is in fifth grade, and she had her little friends over. And they together collectively, they said, uh, you need to ask every one of your guests when they first felt famous. So bear in mind, we're talking about little kids. So it could be when you, maybe it could be when you first felt famous, or it could be when you were uh, on the right path. There was a moment in your career that uh, brought insight to you that you're proud of, uh, just some event worth mentioning that uh, put you on your way. Wow. Wow. Those fifth graders are tough. Tough. Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah, that's that's actually. You really think about it, Xavier. I got a couple. It's so, an amazing question. I've had great. Yeah, answers. I got two things that stick in my mind. One, um, we were invite invited to uh, Kuala Lumpur to to uh, be guest of honor at, at the first whatever it was bike show over there, and I got off the plane and we're in the cab going to the hotel, and they've got these enormous like. You know, lights in the holes and and one of them's got this whole hanging banner and it's just me with the mohawk like this i'm like holy <laughs> shit you know what i mean like nothing not even nowhere near the event just on the side of the street Kuala Lumpur, you know 50 times life size there's me I'm like that's pretty effing cool you know what i mean and then the other that always sticks in my mind which must have been sort of the the peak of the euphoria you know what i mean I was at Myrtle Beach, uh, great show, been drinking all day, da, 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 da. and for some reason, we were like super popular. I had the trike there. Everybody was totally into it, and I got to the bar, and the bar was like packed to the gills, and I'm like, I know. The minute I go in there, it was just such a good vibe, you know what I mean? So I like stood there, and I like literally took like three big breaths, like, one, two, three, and I opened the door, and it was just like a it was like awesome it was like you know crowd surfing to the bar it was like holy shit this is not right you know what i mean but i'll take it you know i mean it was it was really cool and for the first time i I really remember like okay i'm gonna take a deep breath you know i mean i'm sure you know real rock stars they must do that every time they walk to a door to anything you know what i mean Mick Jagger wants to go to McDonald's. He's going to like, you know, psych himself out. You know what I mean? But exactly. For me, I, um, like, okay, I really got to get my shit together and I'm going to go into that mob. And I, I loved, you know, I, I was not one of these guys who wanted to be in the VIP and round the corner and, you, you, you know. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I was super grateful, super grateful yeah. to every one of those lunatics that, you know, gave a crap. Every one of them. Or, you know, whatever, or bought a t-shirt yeah. or whatever. It was like, I was always the guy who was, at the trailer, got the ABBA cranked up, 
dancing mm-hmm. drunk before mm-hmm. lunchtime because that's what they, you know, that's what they want. Give the people what they want. I was so grateful. It was like, I really tried anyway, whether I always succeeded, I can't say, but I always try to give the people what they want because I knew I should not be there and I knew it was a gravy train and, you know, I didn't focus on the fact, but it was pretty damn obvious. It was a bubble that was going to burst one day. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, exactly. do it when I can. Um, there's, there's, when Russell gave me some time to think about it, I had three. One, um, we were in New York right around the holidays. So, you know, it was covered with, you know, Christmassy this and Christmassy that. And I was in Macy's going to go and do some shopping. And I'm literally going up the escalator and our song, Sorry, which was a ballad, was playing and that's the first time i had ever heard it you know in a non-traditional type music setting which would be your car or somewhere and it was the original version it wasn't the muzak version so they hadn't altered it so i remember thinking wow that that's big when you're like in macy's you know i mean it was it was pretty badass and another time i was with my mother at a here in austin was visiting I took her to the grocery store, which is like a Gelson's, um, but it's called H-E-B. And we were shopping. We were in the, the egg and milk aisle or whatever. And the song came on again. It was playing. And I didn't say anything to my mother. We just kind of like did our thing. And then this girl comes over to me and she goes, I don't want to bother you, but I love that song. And I love your band. And I just oh, went, cool wow thanks and she walks off you take a picture she walks off my mother goes what song <laughs> <laughs> so i had to go i had to go and explain the whole thing to her because to this day my mother still thinks that her son went out to la and did a couple of things even though she's seen me play at my hometown arena with kiss even though she's seen me with motley and you know and the third time was, again, I'm with my mom, and we're having dinner at a restaurant. And we're doing our thing, and, you know, this girl comes over, she's got her apron on and her whole thing, and she sets down the check, and she says, thank you so much, and um, if there's anything else I can I can get for you, please let me know. And I said, no, I think we're good, thank you. And she said, oh, I'm sorry to say this, but I didn't say anything, but I really love your band. And I really want a picture. Is that possible? And I go, of course. And I said, but thank you very much for not interrupting me while I was having dinner with my mother. Because like Russell, if you don't like being bothered and you're famous, don't fucking go outside. Stay home. <laughs> I hate all the, I hate all these pompous actors, musicians, whatever. Uh, uh, stay home. Order in, you know. And I got up and I took a picture with her and we were doing, I signed a, a, a napkin for her and then somebody else noticed. And the next thing you know, there's this crowd around me and my mother's sitting there like this, like completely baffled. It didn't really, and it didn't, you know, it, at a concert at, at, at a bike event, it's kind of, you're, it's expected because we're in that environment. When you're having dinner at a at a nice restaurant with your mother and somebody notices that, it, it, you're not in your environment. But like Russell said, complete gratitude because every one of those people that bought a record has allowed me to do this. 
Yeah. You know, it has allowed me to take care of my father when he was, you know, struggling with cancer. All those things that people don't really think about when they buy four million records. It's it's pretty amazing when they buy a motorcycle that 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 Russell creates from something that is a passion that helps him feed his family and continue to do it. They don't really think about that. They just see the lights and the stage or they see the screen that Russell is on and they go, oh, wow, wow, you know, or Xavier, wow, wow. They don't understand the whole thing behind it, you know, and it's I feel I feel really bad and I feel for sad for people who don't understand that, that are in the limelight, because at some point in time, it all goes away. And when it does, what are you left with? You know, have you brought something to the table as opposed to always taking from the table, you know, and there's, there's a lot of people that I've met in both industries that I would never, ever share the same elevator with ever. (laughs) And there are people that I've met in both industries that I would break bread in my own table with, you know, and when you find those certain individuals, you gravitate to that because, you know, I remember when I first met my first rock star and I was on the, I was on the the bill with him and it was such a bummer because he broke my heart. And I just went, I went, wow, all those years of being a kid idolizing you wanting to be like you and then finally meeting you and you're a complete douchebag. Well, I've come around and- Xavier. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then the beautiful part about that man was much like the motorcycle industry. It has taught me what not to be and how yeah. not to act. Yeah. And for that, I'm grateful for that one person because all the other people that I've met along the way that, you know, I used to watch on MTV and I used to watch on Discovery Channel and those those numbers are now in my phone. That's Not pretty amazing, man. This, this guy, you can still listen to the music and like it as much as you were a kid? Can you Absolutely. separate? Yeah. See, Absolutely. Yeah. Separate. I've worked for some dickheads and I don't care. I still yeah, I Yeah, I love what that music did to me as a kid, forming me and cutting my teeth to it. I don't have to like him. Yeah. And it's okay, that. you know, and it's okay, you know. Um, but those couple of instances where I just really went, wow, this is, this is weird, you know, because like Russell, the whole beeper and creating this thing out of air that now became an iconic, ind- you know, a chi- an iconic business. It's like telling people just- you, have, uh, you have viewers on a podcast. <laughs> here we are. Here we yeah, are. yeah. And, and maybe we'll help. Or maybe we'll hurt. I don't know. <laughs> well, these big guys that yeah. people actually watch this shit. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And going so. back to Xavier's last comment, I was a little depressed this week that um, the the lovely lady that I'm seeing at the moment burst my bubble. She told me that she worked with Kate Bush and Kate Bush was a bitch to her. I'm like, oh, oh. I love Kate. No, love no. no, not Kate. Must have been just a person. It must have been a bad day. Surely, surely, Kate Bush. Uh, some people are. Some people just don't know any other way. Some people are so insecure about themselves that they don't know how to handle adoration with gratitude and acceptance and a nice hug, as opposed to being like, "Oh well, you know, I'm too busy to sign your autograph." Oh, oh, okay. Well, maybe you should give me back all the money I spent on your records too. I'm just saying. 
You know, it is interesting though that so you're a punter and you're you meet some guy and the guy's a prick. Well, it's funny when you're a big name in the industry and you meet some guy and he's a prick too. In other words, hey, it ain't just you guys. You know, it can no, be anybody. No, <laughs> you know? no, no, no. And I've I've met him here like people that I would watch every Thursday night watching the biker build offs and just being like, oh wow, did you see that? Oh my god, that was cool. And then years later in the band or passing them at something and meeting them and then being standoffish. And again, who knows? Maybe the guy had a bad day. Maybe they burnt the starstruck. I don't know. Starstruck. (laughs) And then that same guy standing on the side of the stage at the Buffalo chip and then walking over and seeing me come on deck and going, Oh, Hey bro, what's (laughs) up? And I'm like, Oh, uh and then I just walk over to my, my security guard and go, Hey Bubba, See that guy? Yeah. Really oh, you boss? did it? Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was the one. That was the one and only time that I actually used that Star ability power. to remove somebody from my my stage. It's like a super. I, it's like a superhero thing. You could just have your fingers. <laughs> man. That figure's gone. And, and then the opposite thing, having Michael Lichter literally sit. Now, you know, because he would co- always come to the shows and he'd want to sit in the in the pit and take from the pit. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're going to come on stage and you're going to sit next to me. And I would have a chair set up in an igloo with some waters and some beers. And I go, I want you to experience what this is like. And he sat there and was he's like, Xavier, I've shot everybody in the world, but I've never shot it from a stage. He goes, this is insane. He goes, and you do this every night. And I go. Yeah, pretty crazy, huh? <laughs> That's cool. Like Michael and I share the same birthday. It's more of a trip. Really? They're not the That's same year. Awesome. He's like you know, fifty years older than me or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe three, but you know. But yes, exactly. July the twentieth, the pair of us. Nice. Oh, you're the twentieth. That's right, because yeah. I'm the ninth. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, very, yeah. very yeah. close. You know, cancers are it's the a, best. You know, best it's a good, it's a good month for birthdays. <laughs> yeah, going back to to what Xavier was just saying though about you know people being honest, I I I was probably a bit of an offender back in the early days when I first got here, and I, you know I thought I knew everything about taste and motors, or when I first started building, and I was just so so furious by the the stupid theme bikes and the bright colors and oh, the yeah. bad taste and the guys riding in shorts and white sneakers and like everything about the American bike scene drove me nuts. And I hated every one of these guys building these crap bikes. And I was every chance you gave me on my soapbox spewing venom about all these guys and their shitty, shitty bikes. And then the discovery show comes along and takes us to these events and you meet them and they're all lovely, you know, Harlan <laughs> and Dave Perowitz and Eddie Trotter and all these guys that you've been talking shit about behind their backs. And you kind of got to eat humble pie. I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe it's time for a little live and let live here, you know. Yeah. So you, know, you got to take it right down a notch and, and learn a lot, uh, uh, learn, learn quite a lesson because, um, you know. I really but, you know, I got I, I, I got to take the opportunity because when, when Joel asked me about this, I was like, yeah, I did do a podcast with Russell, of course, you know, and I don't know if you remember Russell, but I went to the original shop in Sunland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I then know. I went, I went to, I went to your big one when you had first moved into the big one. Keith and I stopped by there because we were looking at bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, I was at your ranch party, and I can't remember what anniversary it was, but I was there. Did you come to my tenth anniversary at my house in Sherman Oaks? No, I went oh, to the man, one at the was, ranch. That was the party. 
Yeah, I heard about that one. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I can remember, not because we're on a screen together, but you were the one builder that spoke your mind about what you were building and your bikes looked like nobody else's. And even way back then I was into what I was into, but I respected that because you stood for what you believed in as opposed to following every other fucking Tom, Dick and Harry that wanted to put a Geico label on it or a petrol <laughs> oil or whatever it was. You didn't do that. You were, and you were very vocal about it. And, and to most people, you turn them off, but to a lot of people like myself, I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, so there was something to be said for not the bad element in the book, the bad guy, but you were the one guy who stood out without even opening your mouth. You literally, your bike was what it was. And it was, this is what I build. Fuck you and deal with it. And you don't have to buy my bike. And a lot of people bought your bike. So I remember thinking that I was talking with buddies. They're like, oh, well, you know, that spider bike and those other, I don't even get me started on that. Either, that's, a whole, that's a whole, that, there's, there's so many elements about that whole thing that reminds me of the music business where if you had a fucking can of Aquanet and you put your hair this high and you wrote a song and, and, and then you got a record deal. And then where were you a year later? You know, it's the same cookie cutter nonsense. There was so much of that back then that there was only a few elite cats that stood out that are still in business today, A, and B, have created a client list that is still there that are still relevant. Times change, music change, taste change, motorcycles, cars, drapery, whatever. But there are those classic situations that always stand the test of time. And that was yours was one of them. You were one of the guys. When you did that FXR, I remember going, he's fucking lost his mind. He's lost <laughs> his mind. He's doing an FXR. But you plainly, clear as day said, we've done every bike, every which way possible, exile way. We're going to try something a little different. And as a matter of fact, Jake, your buddy, yeah. who used to work for you, okay. was the guy who welded my chain link stands for the Motley Tour. So there's a whole little six degrees of separation going on here. And here we are, all this full circle where not only was I admirer of that era, of you, of your machinery, the way you did things, you were like, I'm not going to budge. We were the same way. We're not going to play the tape. We're not going to play the tracks. We're going to be real. When we fuck up, you know it. You know it. And we just laugh. <laughs> okay. Those were the things that despite what the normal people and everyday people were doing, you were like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. And you're still here. What does that say? It says the right choice where Russell, I've been looking through easy rides the last probably two weeks. I have a, a scores and scores of them just to, just to see. And I run across, I think I made a list the other day of about 15 or 20 shops that are no longer around. And then did the research and they're like, well, because of embezzlement or because of this or because they they had shot, shoddy material or shoddy workmanship, whatever. So what does that say? You know, that says that regardless of what that was for what it was, you're still here. You yeah, know? And a lot on the gravy train back in the day, that's for sure. 
It was, and, and to this day, it's still, you know, there's so many guys. I'm very fortunate because I have guys in my corner that will literally call me on my shit. And they will literally go, yeah, that's no, no, no. And then I watch what I consider some of the younger guys that are coming up that win a couple of awards, that win some notoriety, to get a little attention. And man, does it just go. <laughs> and I sit back and I watch it and I go, all right. And like I was told from a very famous producer, music producer one day, he said, you are only as good as your last hit single, not your record, but your last hit single. What's next? And I always remember that like, okay, great. My bike has done what it's done. And I've had this cover and done that. Great. Big deal. What's next? What, what am I working on now? You know, when you came up with the, sh with the push button shifter for the, I was like, fucking brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? You know, and stuff like that, you know? So I, I, I love the fact that I get to do this and it's an honor and I'm grateful that there is still a tangible amount of, of, of class elegance and craftsmanship out there because it's, it, it's hard to find, man. Like somebody asked me the other day, you know, the last time I got excited about a, a band and I'm like, I haven't been excited about a new band in so long. It's scary. Much like the, new, the, 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 yeah, the, the, the new bike stuff. I'm like, okay, show me something. I, I, I want to, I want to be a sponge. Show me, but you know, so those times for what they were, were absolutely amazing, man. And, and you affected so many people that you'll never get the opportunity to, to, to know, to meet, to, to sit with them and them go, the fact that you did everything opposite the way all those other guys were just kind of like being rabbits and following each other, you know? So, now you know, Joel, if you don't know, now, you know, now, you, <laughs> now know. you know, <laughs> rabbits was a veterinary thing. He was trying Ra to rabbits was a, was, was a minor term, it, you know, so, but the moral but, story uh, is don't change the haircut, Russ. Yeah. Well, like I said, <laughs> these bits are all completely silver. So every week or two, yeah. I gotta go, you know what I mean? You'd have seen me last night. I was looking all those hunter calls. All right. So, A, I'd like to mention your beer because I really like it, Russell. Who, how, who makes your beer? Makes my beer? The beer, yeah. The beer at your house that has you on oh, a bike or whatever. Oh, yeah. I love that, that beer. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that was a company from the UK called Anarchy Brewery. They're awesome. They do like some like special label and they did a little exile version and it was good. It was a it was really free IPA good. that won like awards in you know, some of the, some of the awards in the in, 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 you know, European beer circuits. Wow. Um, that was kind That's of cool. awesome. Really, really yeah. good beer. They don't make it anymore, unfortunately, but I still have a can or two, you know, next time you're here. So you add that to the roster, uh, award-winning beer. Award-winning beer. Yeah, <laughs> I had nothing to do with it, you know I mean? Hey, I have my name on it, so that's probably why. It's got your name, it's got your name yeah. on it, that's got all name on it, it must have been my fault. I'd go over for Russ beer. I need Russ beer. All right, you know where it is. Go grab a one in there. Uh, how can I get a hold of you guys to do bike stuff? What would be the best way to get a T-shirt, maybe, if you're doing T-shirts, I think you do, Russell, to uh, buy some stuff for uh, my bike? What would be the best way to get a hold of each one of you guys if I wanted to do something bike related? Well, I'm easy. Mine's exilecycles.com. And then everything from there you can find. I, 
I run hot and cold with the social media thing. Occasionally I'll have a spurt of Instagram posts, but mostly I won't. Although I must say, I do like the way Instagram basically becomes a portfolio of interesting mm-hmm. stuff. You are not going to get me to comment on it or read the posts or read what you write or any of that shit. But if you want to see a nice synopsis of what we're all about and I'm all about mm-hmm. the Instagram site, you can link to it from theexilecycles.com. Um, but yeah, phone number, email, I pick up the phone, you know, old school. Yeah. Old school. Same here. I'm on my now. Uh, Providence Cycle Works with an X, W O R X dot com. Um, my Instagram, my Facebook, Facebook, all that other stuff. Um, I'm a one man shop. I do I do everything here, you know. And it's funny because buddy of mine was like, "Hey man, um, are you going to think about hiring somebody?" Nope, not yet. Don't want to. It's all I I love having my space. I love. I don't like the stress, but I do like the stress. If I'm, I, I'm sure Russell can 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 relate to that, but. Um, my merch is handled by hotleathers.com because again, I don't have the time for, for any of that. So um, not that I don't want to have the time. I just don't, there's only so many hours in a day for me, but that's pretty much, you know, you can send, drop me a line on the website, drop me a line on my Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And based out of Austin, Texas. You know? And if I want relationship advice, uh, do I hit you up on those sites too? Yeah, I <laughs> yeah no, that's, that's that, sure. I wouldn't come. I, yeah, <laughs> you don't want to come to me either. Yeah, exactly. I'll just be like, I, 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 divorces. You, you definitely I, don't want to hear what I know about that shit. I have, <laughs> I have, I have the the horrid ability to just tell you like it is. If if you ask my opinion about, I will never go meddling in anything that has to do with you. But if you ask me my opinion, I will say this: Are you sure you want to hear my answer? And you if the answer funny, is though? yes, <laughs> people, what will happen is the, they don't ask you. <laughs> they, they, no, I don't want no, no. people ask me anymore because I'm the same way. I'll I, tell you. Yeah. Just unsolicited advice is not welcome here. Have a nice you, day. You get where you're like in a circle <laughs> and they'll be like, so blah, blah, blah. Does anybody have anything to say? Not you, Joel. No. <laughs> I get it all the time. Yeah. Or they'll go, does any, can anybody think of anything else? They all go, they go, oh God, he's going to answer. You know, so <laughs> what's he going to say? <laughs> What was yeah. when I was in a restaurant recently? So I was like, you know, what, what did you think? I'm like, well, the last time I ate here, my girlfriend's penis literally fell off. <laughs> you know, they're like, what? You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Is, is that is this good or bad? I'm just curious. I just need to. That would have got a bigger tip. Yeah, good. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Russell, do you still offer the Sproder setup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sproder setup's one of our sort of bread and butter parts, and then that's right. Our internal throttle and that twist clutch thing. We can those those three pieces are sort of the 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 bread and butter, I guess, of the parts side of things. But I have a whole bunch of all the other bits and pieces that we've done over the years. But but the sprocket how is and the throttles are the main sellers. How is how is the um, the stock on the polished ones? Are they in stock now? I think I have everything in stock, polished, okay. black, or chrome. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty good on stock on those. Okay, cool. I'll if if it's okay with you, I'll grab your number from Joel and then I'll hit you up because I need to order one for a customer that I've got going on now. Yeah, no worries, man. No worries. I'd probably okay. be, I'd probably be out of stock by the time you called just because <laughs> I said I had them. You know? <laughs> well, that would be good though. That would be good. Thanks for watching. 
Don't forget to like and subscribe by clicking the round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or the guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle's Joel Rody. And don't forget, when you party like a rock star, don't be a dick. <laughs>